0: Hold your Bibles up, cup your hand, fake it till you make it. We have a Bible confession here. I'm just going to leave you standing for a minute. Say, This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God, and I boldly confess my mind is alert, my heart is receptive. And I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You know, uh, declaring things is a part of our faith. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So whatever you confess and whatever you hear creates faith in your life or doubt in your life. To tell yourself, I'll never amount to anything, I'm no good, I'm not beautiful, I'm not wonderful. All of those things get into your soul. It's why it's so important that we encourage one another every day. And that we talk to one another in ways that build up instead of tear down. So some of you are new to this idea of holding a Bible up and declaring what you're about to receive. But what you don't realize maybe is that those words are getting to your soul. And actually you're opening your heart. To what God might want to say to you. Not even what I want to say to you, but what God might want to say to you. And so you have to just, you have to see things that are not as though they were. That's what the Bible says. That God was able to see that which is not as though it were. And so some people would say, well that's dreaming. Well the Bible tells us that uh, the young will dream dreams and the old will have visions. I'm still doing both so it means I'm somewhere in between young and old. I don't want to just have visions. That means I'm old, so I'm still dreaming a little bit. All right. Well, we're starting a new series entitled Heaven. Very simple. Uh, I think it's something that everyone questions. Everyone on earth questions uh, life after death. What's going to happen uh, when all of this that we can see with our natural eyes no longer exists or no longer exists to us? What's going to happen? And oftentimes... Uh, we are very afraid of the unknown. What what does that look like? Is there such a thing? And I've had the privilege and opportunity to talk to many people over the years, many families about this, as I've done many funerals for the last 30-plus years and and helped transition people from this life uh, to the next. And the thing that we have to realize is that if we have hope and we have faith and we believe that we are different, than those who don't or when we didn't. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, it says, uh, For this we declare to you by the Lord's own word, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall in no way proceed into the presence or have any advantage over those who have previously fallen asleep in him in death. So we see here that we don't grieve. And of course, according to verse 13, now also we do not have, uh, would not have you be ignorant, brethren, about those who fall asleep in death, that you may not grieve for them as the rest do who have no hope. So we see here that God's wanting us to have this hope, and it's to a large degree based on what we believe about life after death. Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? Now, some people argue and debate in this day trying to rationalize a reason that a good God could never send anyone to hell. Well, let me give you some information. God doesn't send anyone to hell. People choose where they're going to go. And so so I understand my God is a good God, but God has given the same opportunity to everyone... ...to repent and to know Him. But God will not impose His will on anyone... ...because love doesn't impose. Love draws. And so if someone says they love you... ...but there are these lists of demands... ...then that's a conditional love. Not saying it's not necessarily love... ...but it's a conditional love. Certainly we have to draw boundaries in life... ...and we have to set boundaries... ...that protect and preserve the love that we possess. But the reality is is that God loves us unconditionally. The challenge is, with a theology that doesn't believe in a heaven or a hell, is that if, in fact, there everybody's going to heaven uh, based on the fact that God simply loves all of us, then Jesus died for nothing. Why would he need to die if everybody was already going to heaven? Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice so that we would have a way to heaven, Because in the beginning Adam and Eve ate from the tree that they were not supposed to be, eat from, separating us from God. Jesus came to reverse that curse and give us an opportunity to have a relationship with our Creator again. And he said that that we should not be afraid, that we should not be fearful. He said, I've gone to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. And he said, In my father's house are many mansions in John chapter 14. So we, we hear all of this talk about heaven, and the challenge is that we have no actual proof that there is a heaven outside of believing in the Bible. Now, you can choose not to believe in the Bible, but I promise you, you believe in something. You believe something about life after death or eternity. Uh, I have a relative that believes that once you're gone, you're just gone. There is no existence Uh, beyond this life. Uh, There are people who believe there is no such thing as a God. And then there are people in religious circles who actually believe there is a God, but their image and their picture of God would make me not want to go to heaven. I mean, have you been there? I grew up in a very strict denominational church. Uh, We were not allowed to play cards. We were not allowed to play pool. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I don't still, I guess... Since pool tables were in bar rooms, we weren't able to play. But I thought, well, TVs are in there too. <laughs> and other things, you know. But, but we had all this warped theology that, that God was constantly having good days and bad days. And, and His good days and bad days were based on our behavior. And, and that, you know, people said, well, you know, I don't want to let God down. I got good news for you. You're not the one holding God up. So <laughs> you can never let Him down. God loves always unconditionally And it's not based on your merit or your performance. He is love. And so the real challenge is, is believing that God is a good God. Like I said, why would you want to go to heaven and spend an eternity with someone who's mad at you? And someone who was constantly rebuking you and correcting you. And uh, it's such a beautiful thing when we look at the Word of God. And we see the love of God demonstrated in the Son of God. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life in everlasting life if there is everlasting life and i believe there is there has to be a place to spend the everlasting and so the great challenge is is that uh, oftentimes people don't believe because they don't believe in themselves, they don't believe in God, they don't believe there's a way to heaven. If it in, is, in fact, what he says it is, how could I ever get there? You remember Jesus is hanging on the cross and two thieves, one on either side of him and one of them's uh, criticizing him and, and taunting him with the crowds. And the other one just simply looked at him and said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember what Jesus said? He said, Today you shall be with me in paradise. He didn't say on earth, he said in paradise, which infers or implies that there is another place. And so I want us to get this grasp that we are living uh, on this earth, but our citizen citizenship is actually in heaven. So we are dual citizens. We are here temporarily placed here at such a time as this by the hand of God for a divine purpose. And I believe that divine purpose oftentimes exceeds our ability to even comprehend how much God looks to us to reflect His glory. We are in this earth, when Jesus left, He said, I will not leave you orphans, but I will leave another. He's called the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, the Paraclete in the Greek, called to walk alongside us to be a reflection of God. If we properly do our faith and we live this life by faith in the Son of God and we will reflect the life of Jesus as best as we can, People will be attracted to that. People don't care how smart you are. They care how much you love. Or the saying goes, people don't know care how much you know until they know how much you care. Your avenue to anybody's heart is not through your brilliance or your wisdom, but it's through how much you care and how much you love them. How many of you know when somebody loves you, it's attractive? They want to be around you. And sometimes they will try to push you away because of that love, because they don't love themselves. It's not they don't love you, they don't love them. And the Bible says that we're to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. I can't love my neighbor if I don't love me. So I get up every day and go, Mark Crow, I just love you. (laughs) And I know that makes some of you sick, but if I don't love me, I can't love you. And on Sundays, I have to get up and say it a lot, (laughs) because there are a lot of you to love. And you know what? I'm so grateful for the love of God. Over the last four years, the greatest transformation in my life is to learn how to love unconditionally. I'm still in that process, but I'm going to tell you, I've never been happier. Learning how to just love people and and to watch people light up with the love of Jesus Christ. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 28. Uh, I am making a case for heaven, if you, you couldn't tell. Because I believe we live in a world that is desperate to know what's going to happen after this life. As a matter of fact, in one survey, 70 to 75% of Americans surveyed said they believe that there's a heaven. Now, the other 25% is split between there is no heaven... Uh, There is a heaven, but there is no hell. Uh, There is no existence after we die. So there are all these different opinions wrapped up into that 25%. But one of the great pictures of mankind seeing heaven, and we see this in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians when Paul said, I was caught up into the third heaven. So Paul, uh, there have been theologians that have debated what what those levels of heaven are were and are, and there are some religions that have even made a theology out of that one passage of Scripture. But in this verse, in verse 10 of Genesis 28, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending... I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. Now, there is a picture there of God being involved from heaven on earth. And a lot of people are waiting just to get to heaven. Many people are excited. And, and uh, you know, my mother has extreme dementia, and I cannot have a conversation with her, a normal conversation about life. But man, I'll tell you when I connect with my mother in those those uh, in her memory unit, I'll say, Mama, tell me about Jesus. And she'll lift her hands and start worshiping God. I'll say, Mama, want, do you want to go to heaven? I want to go to heaven. She communicates on that level. She can't communicate about anything else. She doesn't know who I am. But let me tell you something. Her spirit knows who Jesus is. My mama used to play the piano in her little church. And, And uh, I still take her to the piano in the memory unit. I sit her down, and I'll say, Mama, play Amazing Grace. And she can start playing the piano. Let me tell you something. There's power in the presence of God. Your spirit can never get dementia. (laughs) Your brain may not remember stuff, but I'm telling you, when God's touched your heart, you never forget. And so I know that one day my mom will be transitioned into heaven. I know that God is real. I know that part of heaven has come to earth, and God said, I'll never leave you, and I will never forsake you. You know, love is one of the greatest presentations of heaven on this side of heaven. You can do a lot of things. You can be extremely successful. You can make a lot of money. And you know what? You can make a lot of people happy with that money, and you'll make a lot of people mad. But let me tell you something. The greatest reflection of heaven is that we love one another. That's how the world's going to know we're his disciples. The Bible says, if we will love one another. And you know, there are people hard to love. I was very hard to love. When I was young, I was extremely hard to love. I was scared of everything. I was scared of heaven. I was scared of dying. I was scared of everything. I just didn't think there was any way I could ever go to heaven. So I was just a mad young man. And so I was hard to love. I know that. I look back at my poor mama and she prayed all the time. And my daddy, he just worked all the time (laughs) to stay away from the mean mark. You know, I just was one of those guys, just was angry with life. You know what I was angry about? I didn't know what to do with what God had put in me. But once I met Jesus and I found out that there was a heaven and that I could go, it changed everything for me. And it took years for me to understand the love of God and to embrace the love of God because I didn't feel worthy. I didn't feel like anybody should love me after everything I'd done. Why would you love me? But I realized that God is love, and that he loves all of us. And that is the greatest reflection we have of heaven, showing people heaven. There was a time that uh, when I was pastoring uh, Victory, that uh, a uh, family was coming to the church, and the whole family started coming. It just, it just flourished. Everything just flourished. And, and, and one of the family members, the father of the family, the patriarch, if you will, a really strong, big family, but he didn't believe in Jesus. As a matter of fact, he was an outspoken atheist, and he would tell his family that. And what was startling about it was he was a very smart man. He had an engineering degree, and he was brilliant. I mean, he knew how to, to, to work systems on earth, and, and he was very articulate. Uh, but he would come. It was I it was the first church he would ever come to. They said he would never go to church, but he came and listened to you. And about twice a year, he would come. And finally, one day, he wanted to meet with me. And I knew all about him because his family was very involved, and they told me about him. And uh, I was really quite insecure. I had a degree at that time, an undergrad degree. I hadn't gotten my graduate degree yet. And, and so I was a little threatened because I would heard how smart he was. And uh, I was praying, God, how do, I, how do I reveal to him the invisible? How can I show him that which I myself cannot see? And so I was praying on the way to the restaurant. When I sat down in front of him, uh, I realized in that moment it was a very humbling moment for me. Because oftentimes we want to uh, intimidate people into believing what we believe. I could have said, well, you know, let me tell you, hell's real. And if you don't turn your life around, you're going to go. How many of you seen those Bible thumpers on corners? I want to go pay them to leave you know, turn or burn signs. That doesn't help anybody. So I'm thinking to myself, I've got to try to connect with this man on a level that he will at least open his heart to what I have to say. I knew he was probably a lot smarter than me and that I wasn't going to be able to win him in a debate, but that if I could do something different, that would at least open his heart to the possibility that what his family had found was real. And so when I sat down with him, we talked a little bit. I affirmed him and honored him and and he's asking me questions and I said look all I can tell you is this that in 1977 depressed out of my mind thinking that there's got to be a better life or a better way than this I had been doing drugs I had been an alcoholic at an early age if you will I, I mean I don't think I was a chemical alcoholic I was just medicating my pain and uh I sat and I looked at him and I said, In 1977, something happened in my life that I can't really explain to you. I know that I was extremely depressed and was ready to leave this earth. Not really, because there's no way I would have gone to heaven. Not because I was bad, but I didn't have faith in Christ. And I looked at him and I said, Sir, I know you don't believe that there's a God. And I know you don't believe there's a heaven. I said, but let me say this to you. Something happened in my life in 1977 that made me a whole different person than I am today, or that I was that, in that day. And I said, you know, if I'm wrong, and, and there truly is no God and no heaven, and they don't exist, I have lived a much happier and better life. I said, sir, but if I'm right and you're wrong, eternity is a really long time. And I said, so I would just challenge you to think it through. Well, over the years, things changed. And uh, throughout that, the end of his life, he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And I got to do his funeral. I didn't lead him to the Lord. All I did was talk to him about the possibilities. And toward the end of his life, one of his children got to pray with him. It was a beautiful thing, and it it happened as it should have happened. But here's what I want to say to that. It would be a horrible thing to live this wonderful life that we've been given. The opportunity to enjoy one another's company. The opportunity to love God and be loved by God. And and, and to, to live our whole lives outside of that. At about 58 years old, many years ago, my uncle was 30, 40 years older than me. I was in my mid 20s, and, and uh, my uncle was a major in the military. He was a pilot, fighter pilot, really smart man. And he was very resistant to the things of God, and I'd only been born again a few years myself, but my mother had always prayed for him. She'd always talked to him about God, and he hated it. But one day he found Jesus, and I went up to Montana to see him. Because I was a theology student, and, and uh, he had a real interest in theology, and I didn't know much. But this was a man that I would visit every summer. We would go see him, and all of a sudden, something was different in his life. And when I sat down with him, he couldn't talk enough about God. He had seen a vision of what it was like to be a believer. A vision of heaven, a vision of who God was, and it changed him. Sometimes we just have to have a vision beyond this life in order to live the way we would like to live in the other life, which is in a place where there's no more sorrow, no more tears, no more sickness. None of those things exist in heaven, according to the Bible. Ecclesiastes 3 says there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. We see heaven laced throughout The Bible from Genesis to the book of Revelation. And a lot of people don't want to believe it exists. Because if I can ignore it and I can say it's not there. Then there's no conviction about how I'm living my life. The conviction that you have and the tension that you have in your life is not God punishing you. It's God wooing you out of the life that you're living. To believe that there is something better than the life that you're living. God was drawing me. I thought he was tormenting me. But he was drawing me to himself. The tension I felt, the, the suffering I was going through wasn't God's fault, and it wasn't the result of something God did. It was the result of my resistance. My mother's praying for me and pulling on me, and the devil's pulling on the other side of me. And I was torn in these directions. And then when I finally got saved and I began to read scripture, Revelation 21 says, So He took me in the spirit to a great high mountain and he showed me the holy city Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. It was filled with the glory of God and sparkled like a precious gem, crystal clear like jasper. Its walls were broad and high with 12 gates guarded by 12 angels and the names of the 12 tribes were written on the gates. There were three gates on each side, east, north, south, and west. The wall of the city had 12 foundation stones and on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. You know why I like this? I'm a man of symmetry. Heaven's symmetrical. For those of you who are weird that way, you artists and you creative types, there's everything's flowing. I like symmetry. Three walls on every—I mean, three gates on every wall. God did that for me. Symmetry. This beautiful picture of heaven. The wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked to me held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. When he measured it, he found it was square, as wide as it was long. In fact, it was in the form of a cube, for its length and width and height were 1,400 miles. So we see this beautiful description of heaven. We see how it's laid out. And and so what happens in our lives is that fear consumes us. In a world that is filled with fear and talking about terrorism and all of these things and all the tensions in the world, we get distracted. We must focus on the idea not just that there's a heaven, but God sent his son to bring heaven to earth. All the the, the difficulties we have on this earth, all of the difficulties we have can be resolved by loving one another. Now, I know that sounds overly simple and everybody's looking for a scheme or a plan or a way, a strategy. But the reality is, if we could just love one another, the Bible says it never fails. And you know, we try to correct people, try to get people to, to, to go think only our way. Not everything's good and bad. Some things are healthy and unhealthy. And the healthy part of Christianity in our faith should, that be, should be that we love each other. That's what Jesus told us to do. He didn't give us a strategy necessarily for winning everybody. He just said, go into all the world. Preach the gospel. You know what the gospel is? The gospel's good news. That's what it means. He didn't say, go preach the bad news. Go tell people how bad things are, how bad they're going to be. Go around and tell people how good things are and how good things can be. You know what? He's greater in us than every challenge in the world. And we can face any challenge with Him. And all of you can think about times in your life when things seemed uh, overwhelming. That, that there was just no way you were going to get beyond uh, where you were. But I'm telling you, God sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. That we could come to a living, breathing relationship. So the very first thing that we have to do is love. And if I can look at heaven and go, someday, that's going to be my reward. Not because of my work, but because of my faith. And if I keep the faith, Paul said, I've run the race, I've fought the good fight, I've kept the faith. We're called to keep the faith because without faith it's impossible to please God. And we want to bring pleasure to the heart of God, not through our performance, but through our faith. In other words, every time there's an obstacle or a situation in my life, it honors God if I look and say, God, I'm doing all I can, and I know if I do that you'll do all that you will. Because faith without works is dead, so there's something we have to do, but that's when God says, I'm going to bring a part of heaven to earth to take care of that. And so we have to keep believing and not being negative. When I couldn't find a building for Mosaic Church, I was praying, God, give me a place, give me a place, God, give me a place. And one day God just in my heart rebuked me he said, stop asking me for a place to meet. He said, ask me for the place. Changed everything about the way I prayed. God says, I'm not a random God. I am a God of design. That's how come in Galatians 4, 4, he said, in the fullness of time, God sent his son. God had a precise time. God has a precise place. God knows every detail of our lives. God is always speaking, but we're not always listening. We can hear the voice of God in our hearts knowing exactly what we're to do. But we have to, have to obey him, so he brings heaven to earth, I'm not talking about a theology where there is uh, just this, you know, transition into heaven. There was an inclusion theology that came out years ago that said, you know what, we're just going to evolve into heaven. Let me tell you all something. All you got to do is read Thessalonians. It said he'll come with a shout. The archangel, the trumpet of the Lord will blow. There's going to be a party coming down from the sky, folks. Let me tell you something right now. He's going to be on a white horse, sweatpants, king of kings, lord of lords. He'll be riding on a horse. People say, are there animals in heaven? Well, I know Jesus got himself a pony. So there's good chance that all of you Peter people, Going to be happy about heaven. So you need to get it right. Right now. For your dog's sake. All right? So. (laughs) Love. Never fail. Secondly, laugh a lot. You know, a lot of people don't laugh. I like to laugh. Matter of fact, I thank God for sarcasm within reason. Because I have a gift of sarcasm. I like sarcastic people. As long as you're nice about your sarcasm. But laughter is good medicine. And so a part of heaven to me. Is, is God says, I want you to laugh. It's healthy for you to laugh. Even science agrees with that. And that if you can look at everything in light of eternity. That Paul called these problems or these tribulations that we have light and momentary. If we can see everything through the filter of heaven saying, this is a light and momentary moment. Heaven is wa- awaiting me. My response to this moment It's very, very important because I can see heaven through this moment. I know you're going through difficulties. I know there are tough times. But you know what? When I think about the tough times, I think it's very short as compared to what eternity is going to be. I can do this. I can do all things through Christ. And when I start thinking about heaven and, and all that Jesus has to offer, not just there but here, it excites me and lets me know I am more than a conqueror, an overcomer in this life. And so see everything uh, in a different way. Laugh sometimes. Some of y'all had not laughed in so long your face would crack. I mean, it is good to laugh. There are many people don't believe that. A lot of religious people don't. They think God's ticked off. But let me say this to you. I believe there's a heaven. I believe there's a hell. The big debate and the big question here that many times I have to deal with in funerals. Where was God when my, my family member died? Why didn't God do something? We have a free will. And there's an enemy. And he's called a thief. And he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But as I said in 1 Thessalonians earlier, we don't grieve as though those who are without hope. In 2009, I had just landed in the Caribbean. And I was on a family vacation, and I was in the grocery store getting groceries for the week, and I received a phone call. And uh, one of my very best friends, 16-year-old son, had had a single car accident and and died immediately. And so I got the call. I immediately loaded up my family, flew to Austin, Texas, to be with this precious couple who pastor an incredible church. And, of course, the questions begin to fly. Why would this happen to your family? I mean, you know what, what you, you guys are in ministry, you've lived your life for God, you've built this great church, and all those questions circle in your minds, and some of you lost uh, love families that you love dearly, and friends, and, and uh, I'll never forget his response after he grieved, just briefly they had this grief, and I cried with him, and I did the funeral with him, and, and several of us did the funeral, it was a huge funeral, he got a huge church, and, and uh, he said, I will not trade. What I do know about God for what I don't know about God. In other words, I can't answer why this happened, but I know this. God is a good God. He said, I will not grieve the way the world grieves because someday I will see my son again. That brings glory to God that we're not questioning. And that God did go prepare a place. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am you may be also. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Jesus gave us all kinds of indicators. That we don't have to fret on this side of heaven like people who are lost and without faith and without hope. We have faith and we have hope. And if you're going through a difficult time, know this, my friend. This is not the end. This is a moment in time. And God is going to get you on the other side. He will not leave you and he will not forsake you. And I believe in God that a piece of heaven will drop right down in your life and your home. And you'll be smiling again as my friend is knowing that someday I will see him. But the challenge is this, that many people say, how can a good God send anyone to hell? God doesn't send anyone to hell. We have a free will. Remember this, if you hear nothing else, that we have a free will. We get to choose our eternity. And he said, choose this day, life or death, blessing or cursing. It's our choice. And that I want to go to heaven. And the reason I originally got born again, to be honest with you, it wasn't because I really loved God. I didn't want to go to hell. I'm just keeping it real right here. I mean, I'm just thinking, man, hell scared me. And, and, and I knew that I'd go there, and you know, it'd be first class. I mean, the trip there would be first class. I had really bought my ticket. I had punched it. I was on my way. I was upgraded. And I was on the fast track to hell. And so... I got born again because I thought, if this is all real, I'm not going to spend eternity in heaven. I'll never forget. I was on a flight out of, of uh, Missoula, Montana, flying to Denver, Colorado, when the plane began to disrock and shake, and everybody's freaking out. And I, I was so lost, I sat there, I didn't even get scared. I hear this voice saying, if you died in this plane, where would you spend eternity? Nobody, I, I look around, nobody was talking to me. They were all freaked out. I think I was still medicated. I said, I know where I would go. I knew there was a heaven and a hell. And what I've told people is God will not send any of your family members to hell. But some of them might choose to go. And you know what? One of the things that will change their life forever is not your judgment, not your wisdom, not your brilliance, not your arguments. But when they can see you love them in the hell in which they're living, it will be proof that Jesus is love. Three people die every second, 180 people every minute, 11,000 every hour, and 250,000 people enter eternity every day. We were told in Hebrews that we would die, and then would come judgment. And uh, those who are forgiven, those who have accepted Christ, everyone has the forgiveness extended. You've already judged yourself. It will be those who have not judged themselves or examined themselves as Paul told the church at Corinth to do that will be judged. You get the words from him, well done my good and faithful servant, enter in. Now, the great argument is, by religious people, is, well, you you didn't live right. Well, you know what? If you love Jesus and you've been forgiven by Jesus, I can promise you I'm doing the best I can to live the way he wants me to live. Is it perfect? No, because there are stupid drivers on the road. (laughs) And there are just days I don't succeed. And you know, I'm sorry if you have a mosaic sticker. I might still honk at you and say, I am your pastor. Go to driver's ed. Then I think, oh, Jesus, help me. But more importantly, help them. We're called to be the light of the world. If I could tell you to do three things today, be one, love. Love with everything in you because love is the greatest reflection of heaven ever. God so loved the world that he gave his son. We've got to be just like Jesus as much as we can, and we will fail every day. But as much as we can, we love. In this church, as much as we can, we laugh. And I have serious sermons, and they're really hard for me to preach because I'm a laughing kind of guy. But to me, heaven is a serious sermon in a world that is desperate and looking for what happens after they die. The third thing that I believe is critical to bringing heaven to earth, the Bible says that when we get to heaven, there will be no more sun in the sky. Which means we won't get sunburned anymore. Because the Son of God doesn't, the UV rays, anyway. So, it says Jesus will be the sun or the light of heaven. And so, We are called, if we live a life following Jesus, we are the light of this world. We're shining light into darkness, which means when we come into a room and it's filled with doubt and negativity that we bring light and hope. That when we walk in somewhere we believe so much that there's a heaven, that heaven is resident in us, and that the light of Jesus shines through our lives and out to other people. You know, all we're called to do is love and laugh and give light to a world. That's what we're called to do. We're not called to be perfect. Oh, I know we'll be perfect as He is perfect. I've yet to meet anybody being perfect as He is perfect. My, I strive to love. If I can love, perfection is the byproduct. We're not, you're not going to be perfect. But don't quit when you're not perfect. If you will love, it will change your world and the world in which we live. If you'll shine light, It will change everything. I'll be talking more about heaven, reading more about heaven. But I want you to understand, you and I are not going to heaven by our merit, by what we've done. We will go because we have faith through his grace. That's how we get there. And that if you can have a different view of heaven than maybe what you've had, of God being mean and having cruelty and that God has good days and bad days, why would you want to go? I didn't want to go to heaven because I thought God was mad. The pastor of my church I went to, I thought, man, if God's anything like you, it's really going to be a long time. <laughs> and he, he, he had a good heart. He, he, he was doing the best he could with what he knew. But man, we've come to know something about God as we've studied Scripture throughout the years that God is a good God. I spent the day with old Roberts just probably about a year or two before he passed. He had left Tulsa. And I had known Oral and I'd known his family and I asked him one question that, that really startled me. I said, what was the toughest thing? He built a university, he had tent revivals, if you've never heard of oil, go back and look at him. 10,000 people would show up, people would get healed, miracles, would be in the heat under a tent. People wanted to know God. Then he builds this great university, he builds a hospital, and I thought, man, he's going to say something like, the most difficult thing was building a university. The most difficult thing was building a hospital, and I was there when he... The most difficult thing was being accused of taking, you know, money from a dog track owner. But the Bible says the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous, so I didn't have any problem with that. But he looked at me and he said, Mark, the toughest thing that I ever felt in my life was when I began to teach God is a good God. He said the mail came in left and right, because back in that day, people did not believe God was a good God. And some of you still don't believe God is a good God because you grew up with a family like I did. I didn't know God was a good God. But I want to tell you something. God is a good God, and he has your best at heart. He wants the very best for you. So don't give up. Don't let someone talk you out of what Jesus died you into. He is a good God, and he has great things for us. Why Why would he be a bad God when you read the book of Revelation and you see this beautiful place that he's gone to create for us? That's a good God. That he has forgiven us if we'll call on his name. That's a good God. He said, I'll never leave you. That's a good God. I'll never forsake you. That's a good God. Change the way you view God, and it'll change your life. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes, want to pray. Before we pray, there may be those of you that say, you know, I want to go to heaven someday. But I didn't know I could. I wanted to go to heaven all my life. It wasn't until I was almost 21 that I thought maybe I could, and the only reason I realized I might be able to was I got desperate, and I thought, God's got to be different than what I've heard my whole life. He just has to be, because I am miserable, and I need help, and it was that simple that God came and took my life and transformed what was on the inside of me, and let me tell you, he still is. There's so many things in my life that still need changed and so many things in my life I still want changed. But guess what? I'm going to heaven. It's no longer about my eternity. It's about bringing heaven to earth. And I know that one of the ways to bring heaven to earth is to walk in love, walk in grace, walk in mercy, and forgive. And God has extended grace and mercy toward you and to you today. And He's already offered an olive branch of forgiveness for you. And if you've not yet made Him the Lord of your life, today would be a great day to do that. You can go to heaven. You can know God. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been. I talked to a young lady between services. Just got out of prison. She's from Korea. She came to America. Lived in America. And because of her crimes, and she spent years behind the wall. She was radiant in the lobby. I said, well, she said, I just got out of prison a year ago. I'm being deported back to South Korea. And she's smiling with everything in her as she said it. She said, but I know in being deported back to my country because of the crimes I committed in this country that God has a purpose for me in South Korea. What a way to look at life realizing she had been forgiven and there was nothing more important than knowing that God had a plan for her life. God has a plan for your life. With heads bowed and eyes closed, you say, today I want to begin my journey. Today I want to know God. Please pray for me. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask you just to lift your hand up and put it right back down if that's you. Just acknowledging, yes, 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 yes. So many of you. Thank you. God bless you. So proud of you. Yes, thank you. Second row, thank you. Those of you watching online, if you're in an apartment, if you're in prison, if you're at home, wherever you might be, in an airport, watching on your phone, if you're not a Christian today, you can be. We're going to pray a simple prayer that's going to make a profound difference in your life. I want to ask all of you in this room and those of you watching online to pray this with me. Say, Father God, I come to you today in faith, believing that Jesus died for my sins. So, Jesus today, I repent of my sins. I make you Lord of my life. Thank you for forgiving me. Amen.